Church, if we could, could we please open to Titus chapter one? We're going to be in verses four through 16 this morning. Uh, Titus chapter one, verses four through 16. And, and while you make your way to Titus chapter one, last Sunday we began uh, in what I advertised as was the first four verses. I just read verse four. We only got to three verses. But Paul in his, uh, it, I know, I thought I was going to do four. But Paul in his intro to Titus, uh, in the first three verses, he lets the audience uh he basically lets the audience of this letter know God's plan of eternal life, which, which was put in motion before the foundations of the earth, he says, or before time eternal and was manifested through his word. So that's through his prophets and through his son, obviously the word made flesh. And then Paul he says, I'm a servant of God and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I'm a, I'm a total bond servant to God. And I've been sent by Jesus Christ. I'm his ambassador to preach the message of the gospel. And that's the general, the general idea of the first few verses uh, to preach the, the, the message of the gospel so that people could come to the faith so they could be brought in on the plan that God had before the foundations of the earth. So they would be in, uh, enlightened in, uh, in who Jesus is and through faith in him, they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's the idea behind that. And Paul's just kind of in his intro, he's saying, listen, this is God's plan. It's been going on forever. And here I am, I'm just a servant and I've been sent by God to now proclaim the message to everyone. He sent me. And the idea behind that is that God sent Paul because in this letter, as we, as we move forward, um, the reader, now Titus already knows all this stuff. He's been hanging out with Paul. We'll get, we'll get into that kind of stuff. But imagine, you know, the church is going to hear this letter. And in the church, there are false teachers who are in, infiltrating the church. And so they need to know that as Paul is writing this and he's given authorization to Timothy to do stuff, it isn't just anybody who's writing. This is someone who's been sent by God. This is an apostle of God uh, sent to the church. And he is authorizing Timothy to do two, basically two things in chapter one that we'll get to. One is to appoint leadership. And number two is to correct uh, the uh, false teachers who were in leadership and everywhere else. And so this is really important. And so verses, if you're just looking at chapter one, you've got the intro in the first four verses. But in verse five, it starts out in... And it's uh, basically, uh, it's talk, uh, Paul is talking about the appointing of qualified elders. So if we're looking at chapter one and you're taking notes, the first, uh, well, verses five through nine, it's going to be the, you know, hey, what is an elder? Uh, basically, what qualifies someone to be an elder in the church? And then secondly, in verses 10 through 16, it's the command to rebuke and to correct the false teachers. So when it comes to appointing leaders uh, in correcting false doctrine in the church, there needs to be God ordained leadership. Um, not just anybody who's doing that. And Paul makes it clear that whoever be reading this letter, that Titus is authorized to do everything Paul's asking him to do. And so they're in Crete. Now we'll come back to that. But as we pick up in verse four this morning, we are introduced to the recipient of the letter. Verses one through three tell us it's Paul who's writing. Verse four tells who it's written to to Titus, my true child and a common faith. And so the letter is written by Paul to a man named Titus. 
we do not know when Titus came to faith. It doesn't say anything about when he came to faith, but Paul calls him a true child in the common faith. And so we assume that he's like a spiritual kid. He came to the Lord probably through the ministry of Paul. That's most likely what happened. Uh, some of the things we pick up in various scriptures about Titus. Uh, it's interesting that Luke never mentions Titus in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is bunch of chapters, nothing mentioned of Luke. And yet in second Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, obviously, uh, Titus is mentioned nine times. And, and I think the reason why isn't it written nine times we find out, I think in chapter eight is that it's actually Titus delivering the letter to the Corinthians. So we find out that uh, Titus is someone who's trusted uh, by Paul. He's often sent to difficult places. The church of Corinth was a little bit difficult. If you read first Corinthians, second Corinthians, uh, he was kind of his go-to guy in those difficult situations. And actually we find out as we're reading in chapter eight, he is actually sent to col- get the collection from the church in Corinth, which they said they would do and they hadn't done for the poor believers in Jerusalem who were suffering persecution, all that type of stuff. And so they were, he was there to go not only deliver the letter, but to take the collection and bring it back to the church in Jerusalem. Paul also said as of Titus, and this is really a lot about it, is 2 Corinthians 8. He says that Titus was a partner and a fellow worker. And so he was someone who was with Paul on his journeys and did a lot of uh, ministry with him. And so although Luke never mentions Titus in Acts, uh, here, uh, actually, Paul says some interesting things. If you know in Acts 15, remember the story of Acts 15 is basically uh, Paul and Barnabas went before the Jerusalem council because they had just done their missionary journey. Man, there's people coming to the Lord who are Gentiles. And there was beginning to be this pressure from the Judaizers. Some Jews were coming and say, Hey, now these people in order to be real Christians, to be real believers, they need to be circumcised. They need to start following the law of Moses. And this is a big thing that's going to push through the churches for a long time, this tension. And so Paul and Barnabas come back to the Jerusalem council and say, man, look at what, everything that's gone on and what God's doing and all this type of stuff. Well, we find out in Galatians chapter two, when Paul is talking to a church that is uh, being ransacked by Judaizers, when he's telling them, yeah, hey man, you've got a false gospel going on here. Jesus plus anything is no gospel at all. And he, he tells them, he starts telling the story back of, of what happened in Acts 15. And, and it's interesting. If you, if you, uh, if you read that, you find out that he brought, when Paul and Barnabas went to the Jerusalem council, they brought Titus along with them because Titus was a Gentile who had come to faith. So he was a model of someone who had come to the Lord, who had been, the Lord had done a great work in his life. And he's saying, look at, this is what's going on. And, and they were forcing men like that to, um, you know, go back under the bondage of the law. And, and wisely, the Jerusalem council said, no, that's not what's going to go on. You go back, be blessed. Just don't eat things that are been sacrificed to idols and stay away from sexual immorality and you'll be good. Take care. And so, uh, we find out a lot. We'll come back to that because that's important later. But so Titus ministered with Paul and was deeply trusted by Paul. And like Timothy child, he was a child of the common faith. And so 
This letter was written to Titus and Paul at the end of verse four gives us his typical Pauline greeting to Titus. He says, grace and peace from God, the father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If there's anything a minister needs to remember, it's the grace and peace from God, the father and from Christ Jesus, our savior or any believer. Amen. How many of you need to be reminded of that? Yeah. And this is basically a, a mixture of both the Greek and the Jewish kind of greeting. The Greek would be kaios, so grace. And then the uh, shalom would be peace, so grace and peace. And there's a mixture there. So this is what we experience through faith in Christ, the undeserved favor of God. And as a result of that undeserved favor, we experience the peace with God. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So. Starting in verse five, this is where you kind of get down to the, to the nitty gritty of everything. Uh, Paul begins to direct Titus in the matters of appointing elders. And this is his main thrust. If remember, I talked to you about chapter one is appointing elders, chapter two. So godly elders, godly leaders, chapter one, chapter two, godly church, chapter three, godly witness. And that's Paul's flow. And again, I don't think this is for for Titus's education here, <laughs> you know, Titus knows this, but he's writing it because other busy people are going to be reading it. And it's a good reminder for Titus too. But he goes in verse five, he says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul's already directed him. He's just making it official with a letter. And so Paul, Paul and Titus, they had traveled together and obviously came to an island called, uh, called Crete. How many of you know where Crete is? Basically Mediterranean Sea, southeast of Greece, uh, about 160 miles long and uh, about uh, anywhere from seven miles wide to 35 miles wide. So that kind of gives you an idea of what it looks like there. Uh, it was mostly influenced by Roman and Greek culture. And so it's just a real pagan society. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. But we, we don't know how the church started in Crete. If you, were in, if you read Acts chapter 2, you read that some of the Cretans and other people who were there at Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit fell, they, they, uh, they went back. To, they, they probably got saved at that point of the preaching of Peter, many of them. And they went back to their uh, hometowns. They, these Jews, they went back to wherever they came from, from all over the modern world there. So it could have been that the church started from these Jews that came back and then pockets of Christians just started popping up all over the place. That's a possibility, but also through Paul's missionary journey, he probably just, he and Titus went through there, preached the gospel and people came to the Lord. So who knows how it started, man, people came to Christ. The gospel got out there. Amen. Amen. We love that. Uh, regardless of how that started, verse five tells us that there were churches that had sprouted up in all these little towns. They probably weren't that big. They're probably full of young believers without a lot of uh, strong leadership around there. And, uh, and there was a need for godly leaders to oversee those flocks of believers. And so Paul says in verse five, what Titus already knows, Titus, you're commissioned, you're appointed to go appoint elders in every town. You know, it isn't like in Walla Walla where there's 80 churches from different denominations and different leaderships and all that stuff. There was one church. <laughs> I know this is weird. There was, there was one church and, and it came through Jesus Christ through the apostles, right? And there's a church history study if you want to go on how we got to where we are. That's pretty fun. Um, but basically, so, so there was the church in Corinth, there was the church in, you know, Ephesus. There was the church in Walla Walla. 
if we were over in that place at that time. And, and, and Paul would have these apostolic delegates is kind of what theologians call them. The Timothys and the Titus who would go and oversee areas or maybe a specific church. And they would appoint the leaders in those churches and they would move on to different places. And this is kind of how you get the, uh, maybe some of the hierarchical systems that we have in church today. Um, that's just kind of the way it was. And so, um, basically b- believers would be gathering in a place and they would gather together in Walla Walla and they'd all meet together. And so you'd have the church in Walla Walla. And so, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how it would a community church. And so those gathering, they needed some leadership who were qualified to oversee them, uh, to teach, uh, the flock of God's sound doctrine, to correct, rebuke, exhort, to encourage, to protect, to pray for, to uh, minister to them, to raise up and appoint godly leaders and so forth. And so that the people of God would grow in Christ likeness. And so uh, very similar to what we read in first Timothy chapter three, remember a few months ago, we went over first Timothy chapter three, uh, same time, same kind of situation, different place. Timothy was in Ephesus. Titus is here in Crete. So what's happening is Paul's directing his guys. Listen, these are the qualifications of the leaders that you need to have in these various places. And so these letters parallel one another. Chapter three of first Timothy and Titus chapter one, they parallel one another. And so Paul gives Titus these qualifications for eldership within the church. And if you remember, uh, again, I, it was a few months ago that we did that. And I'm not going to go as in depth this morning on all the qualifications, uh, you can go back to that previous message. Go, go to ccfww.org slash messages. And First Timothy 3 is called Church Leadership Part 1. And that would have been on, on October 24th. I know you're all writing this down. But <laughs> more importantly, open to First Timothy chapter 3, right? And read these two in concert. So uh, beginning in verse 6, Paul describes the qualifications for an elder. Tim, Titus, I want you to go set up leaders. This is the qualifications for the leaders. I want you to, I want you to have ready. If anyone is above reproach, verse six, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or an insubordination. I'm just going to stop there. The overarching qualification for an elder or an overseer or a pastor within a church is that first part of verse one. It says, if anyone is above reproach, and that's, that's the idea. And, and this is also translated blameless. How many of you have the word blameless? Yep. If anyone is blameless. And the idea is that these men were mature Christians uh, whose character had become Christ-like to the point where their life and the actions matched their teachings. And so anything that was hurled against them really wouldn't stick. This isn't saying that they're perfect. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that there's a level of maturity that's Christ-likeness to where if any of were saying, oh, they're you know, they aren't known as any of these negative things. They're known as being Christ-like. They have mature Christ-like character. Obviously it's not sinlessness, but the accusations that would be hurled against them by false teachers and others, it just wouldn't stick. Their pattern of behavior was Christ-like. And so these were to be mature believing men who were above reproach. Well, what does that look like? And he gives us an example. First off, they're to be the husband of one wife. Now there's a lot of different thoughts about what this means. Uh, you know, is it talking about polygamy? Is it talking about can't be divorced and all that stuff? The, the, if you get into the Greek, it just means a one woman type type of guy. It means if, and, and the idea here is it doesn't mean that they have to be, they have to be married. That's, that's not a qualification for being an elder. You know, 
Because guess who wasn't married? Paul. Guess who wasn't married? Jesus. Yeah, and even Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, am I the only one who can't have a wife? But what about Peter? Peter has a wife and all the other, the, you know, everybody else has wives. So it's not about being married or not. But the reality is most men get married. That's just what happens. So he's speaking to the general leader, especially if you're an elder, most guys are married. And he says, if you're married, you're going to be one woman kind of guy. You're going to be faithful to your wife. And that's the idea there, a prerequisite for leadership. You're faithful to your wife. And, and along with that, Paul says the qualified elders' children are to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, just put on your seatbelts for a minute. Uh, there are some varying opinions about what Paul means here, and I don't have a, a solid understanding personally. Uh, I mean, the more I study it, the more I go, wow, I see everybody's point. So um, uh, let me give you the big idea here. When, when we're talking about um, the verse, this verse that says, um, and his children are to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, what I believe the big idea here is, I wrote it down so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> the big idea here is that spiritual leadership begins at home. And if a, can't, if a man can't lead their family spiritually, then they aren't qualified to lead the church. That's the big idea. If you can't lead your family, you can't lead the church. Does that make sense? Because if you're not faithful to your wife, you're not going to be faithful in the church. If you're not, if your kids don't listen to you, what makes you think that a bunch of adults are going to listen to you type of a thing? You know, I mean, if you can't do the basics, what's, what are you doing leveling up and making a mess of everything? And the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more I realize, wow, the Lord really knows what he's talking about here. Amen. Um, no matter how you interpret all this, that's the thrust, I think. And that spiritual maturity and leadership is the first to be seen in their faithfulness to their wife and their leadership and teaching and modeling Christ to their kids. That's a big picture. But there are some big questions here. Ready? Firstly, what is Paul saying when Paul says that the qualified elders' children must be believers? And what does Paul mean by children? <laughs> I know. By children. And what does Paul mean by saying they, they, they must be believers? So uh, this is where things get difficult. And let me just kind of give you my line of thinking here. It's interesting that the word child here is the same word that Paul uses in the, in verse four to talk to Timothy or to Titus. He says, you're a child, my child in the common faith. That child is child of any age. That's that word. It's not little tiny child. It's a child of any age. So that's the word Paul's using. Uh, he says child at any age. And so this doesn't seem to be limited to little kids. Secondly, it says that they are to be believers. And so Paul is saying that your kids, so is Paul saying that your kids, no matter what their age must be born again, believers. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? This gets kind of crazy. So, um, well, we know that little tiny kids don't necessarily know the Lord. So for you're an elder, You've got little tiny kids. Does that disqualify you? Cause they're not believers. These are just questions I'm bringing up. I'm not giving you answers to this stuff, but the, I think the idea is that generally elders are older. So usually their kids are older and they've had a chance to have influence on their kids and their lives and all these types of things. 
So that's something to think about. Here's where it gets difficult. The word for believers there is translated a majority of the time as the word faithful and a minority of the time as believers, like 47 times faithful, eight times believers. Okay. That's, that's that word. Uh, yet it's translated right here as believers. And so should it be translated faithful or believers? It's saying, you know, is it saying that children are to be faithful or is it saying that you're, the children are to be believers? Because that makes a whole lot of difference on how you interpret that, right? Because you can have children as elders who are faithful. In other words, like similar to first Timothy, they're obedient. They're submissive. They follow your leadership and not be saved. Or it might be saying they must be believers and be submitted and be saved. So there's different people who see this differently. And the implications of that are huge. Some think this is not about kids being saved, but rather similar to first Timothy being obedient and faithful. That is submitted to their father's action action instructions, right? And the idea here is that a father's home is in order and his children listen to him. I'll just read first Timothy three, four through five. I don't have it up on the screen. I put it in after the fact. First Timothy three, four through five. It says he must manage his own household. Well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so that's first Timothy. This is the sister verse of this verse. Timothy's talking about the management of home and keeping your kids submissive. Titus is saying your children must be believers. Is he saying they must be believers or is he saying what first Timothy is saying that your kids have to be in submission? Do you see that tension there? I hope I'm explaining it well enough. So is he talking about faithfulness? Then it is speaking more of the fact that he can lead his family. Is that what Titus is saying? Others would say, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, it's not just about faithfulness. Your kids listen to you. It's that you've actually brought them to Christ, that they come to Christ under you. Okay. That's more of a, that's a, that's an interpretation that an elder's children's must be believers. And obviously this must happen sometime after they're old enough to come to faith and then not coming to faith is a disqualification. Okay. So people read that. And these are the two kind of major ideas they come to. And they would take that position because in Titus, the word for child is the child of any age. And if he, if he, and he isn't speaking about just little kids, but adult kids, because little kids can't be accused of debauchery and insubordination. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. This is why people go, oh, no, he's talking about like, they've got to be, if anything, if you're even saying faithful, they've got to be like moral, pig, moral unbelievers maybe, because they follow you even at that point. Or are they actually saying, no, they've got to be believers and they've got to live it out. And that if they don't, if you don't have believing children and they don't live it out, you can't be an elder. You're disqualified. <sighs> Yikes, right? You see the implications of all this? So this is the stuff we get to have fun with at an elder board level and not try to do the interpretation based upon our own homes, but upon what the word of God says, be faithful. Right. And there are other ideas on this as well. 
And I'm just sharing this with you because, as you can see, there, there are ramifications to the interpretation of this. And honestly, I'm just restudying it. And I, I'm looking at this and I just, I'm going, wow, this is, whoa, Lord, what does this mean? So anyways, pray for me. <laughs> pray for us. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. But um, as, I, as, I, as I do look at this, at least where I stand, I have, have stood on this. It seems that Paul is saying, do you manage your household well? Does your own family listen to you? I think that's, what it, that's at, at least at base value what it's saying. But the overall idea, again, this is the important thing, is that the leaders that we put in place, they've got to be able to lead at home. And their kids have to listen to them. They have to have, if they have to, they have to lead well at home so that they can lead others well. Amen. You see that, that point there? I think that's, that's like base level because ultimately what an elder is doing is not getting them to follow him. (laughs) Right. What are we trying to do? Trying to model Christ, trying to teach about Christ, trying to point people to Jesus. Does that make sense? So Boy, verse seven, and he repeats it. He sandwiches it for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Jeez. Again, the office of an elder and overseer here in verse seven, he, what does he call it? He calls it stewardship. What is stewardship? It means you're entrusted with something. What are you entrusted with? The word of God, the people of God, Right? the protection of the sheep, all these types of things. There's a lot there. You're a steward and over an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And so to be not be above reproach, it compromises the stewardship. It compromises the witness. It compromises all these things. I feel the weight of all this, everybody. So I'm not sitting here saying I am all that. I feel the weight. But to serve as an elder or pastor or overseer, it's a high calling with high standards. And please keep in mind, this is because as the leadership goes, the sheep go. And that's what Paul is getting to here. Leadership, sheep, chapter two, witness, verse chapter three. Make sense? And so verse 7b, in the middle of verse 7, Paul moves from the family leadership to personal character. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. These are all qualities of character that, will, that we all desire uh, not to aspire to as believers. Amen? Yeah, we don't want to aspire to these things. We don't want to be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And so uh, elders and overseers and pastors, all of them, uh, they must be mature in these areas. So arrogant, that's self-willed, quick-tempered. This is not the occasional outburst, MacArthur says, but the, the propensity to anger. Uh, cannot be a drunkard. This means the idea is the word is a, a para word. And like the, like the paraclete, the, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you. The idea of being a drunkard is that you've got wine as your partner. (laughs) It comes alongside of you in life. Uh, That's the idea is that it's not to be your partner in life. And so some would say that alcohol is out of the question for, for leaders. And I understand why, because it is incredibly destructive in our society. Uh, But some would say, listen, it's, it can't, it can't be a partner in your, in your life. That's the idea. And, And you can just push that out into anything else, drugs, medication, whatever it is. 
So nonviolent, so can't be a brawler or a writer or anything like that. So no, no, uh, none of that stuff. You're not throwing. So the idea then would have been, you know, the Middle East gets a little bit intense occasionally. You don't want to see the elders out there chucking sticks and doing things like, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not, that's not what we're to be doing. Uh, not, nor greedy for gain. The idea of greedy for gain means gaining wealth without honesty. Gaining wealth without honesty. That's the idea there. So an elder must be blameless of all these uh, negative fleshly things. And so must the church. Amen. So must the church. That's where we're spying toward Christ likeness that we're putting off the old man. And so an elder must be blameless oppositely in the positive verse eight, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy discipline. So hospitable is someone who is willing to give help to anyone in need. That's the idea. And so uh, you're just open to helping people at any time. There's just this openness about your life to try to help people. Uh, that's what a hospital is for, right? A lover of good, uh, which is the, their affection should be, to, that's how they should be towards people and the things that uh, around them. Their ideas should be a lover of good, people who are good, things that are good, thoughts that are good, all that type of stuff. Uh, self-controlled, it's a fruit of the spirit, means being sober-minded or cool-headed. And there's you know, be upright, or which means to be just or fair. You want a leader who is just and fair, who is equitable, right? And all those types of things. Um, and the character, that's the type of character they're to have. They're to be holy, that is set apart towards the Lord. They're not to be worldly and disciplined, uh, similar to self-control, having a mastery of oneself in certain areas. And so um, basically, again, your, your Bibles might switch these words around because of the Greek and things like that. But th that's the thrust of these characteristics that are supposed to be had in, in leaders. Also go over to first Timothy and read them. They're all similar. Uh, spiritual leaders are to be models of what we aspire to. And so if you're a parent in a home, you want to look at this and say, these are qualifications that I want to have as a mom, as a dad, <laughs> or as a leader, or as a, anyone who represents Christ. These are the things that I want to allow the Lord to work and develop in me. Amen. And these other things are the things I want to put off, you know, as, as we, you know, um, seek to be Christ-like and let him do his work in us. Again, we're models. That's the idea. Verse nine it goes on and says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And so the idea is that the Paul's getting crossed to Titus is that he, when he selects elders, they must hold uh, firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Holding firm means to strongly cling to the word of God as taught, not changing it because it doesn't match your lifestyle or whatever. The Bible cuts everybody who handles it, right? <laughs> Me this morning and you, it, it just, it cuts us all, but it's a good cut if we let it cut because it cuts away the junk and exposes what the Lord would seek to infuse into our lives or grow out of our lives. And so to be fierce hearers and doers of the word is the idea. And there's a reason for this that Paul is getting at verse nine, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine twofold here. Why do they hold firmly to the word as taught? Because so they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Twofold uh, sword with leadership. Wild. So if you have a good hold on the word as taught, you're not going to be able to fulfill. If you don't have a good 
hold on the word. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to teach and you're not going to be able to defend and protect. Okay. So what do elders do warfare with the word? What do spiritual leaders do warfare with the word? (laughs) We're not to be throwing sticks. We're to be combating lies with the truth, truth in our own lives lived out truth as the word of God teaches it truth, proclaimed truth, modeled all those types of things. And so a twofold leader there to instruct and to rebuke instruct in sound doctrine means to encourage and to strengthen the church by calling it to harmonize with God's will and word, right? If you don't hold fast to the word, you can't call others to it, right? Cause you haven't grown yourself in your discernment of the truth. And one of the things about leadership I've learned, even about myself and other things is if you don't know where to go, you grab onto what you do know, which is usually dumb and worldly and a bad example. You don't want to tell people to do that. It's great to say, I don't know. It's better to say, I don't know than to lead people down a path that's false. And so if you hear occasionally me say, I don't know, but I'll seek the Lord. We'll find out. Amen. (laughs) So humility, right? Uh, But uh, elders are to be instructors in sound doctrine. Sound means healthy. Doctrine means teaching, healthy teaching. The elders are called to feed you good food. What is good food? Stuff that tickles your ears. No, the food that God lays out for you to chew on his word. Chew on it. And you find, you know, just like vegetables. Yeah. We try to put, I don't know. I wish everything were sweet potato casserole, (laughs) (laughs) you know, vegetables like that (laughs) brown sugar glazed on top, (laughs) five pounds of butter in there. (laughs) But it's usually like chard, you know, it's kind of, or whatever. Yeah. Kale. Yeah that whole thing made me crazy. Like I worked in a restaurant industry and they, you know, so when I was younger, they had all the salads and all that stuff and they decorated with the kale. And all of a sudden the kale went from outside the bowl to in the bowl. It's like, what happened there? <laughs> it's great for you. Uh, never mind. Let's not go down that road. <laughs> Word of God is good for you. And it doesn't always, uh, you know, sometimes it can be difficult, right? It's not what you want to hear sometimes, but it's good for your soul. It's like honey in the end because you grow, you know, I mean, how many of you have, you know, you, you just, you just got done with the holidays and you're like, Oh, I ate too much. Anybody else? You're like, I'm going to eat salad for like five weeks. You know, you need some, something healthy in your system, right? Well, that's what elders are to do. We're to, we're to give you sound food, spiritual food. And uh, secondly, uh, oh, oh, by the way, a, a well-fed church becomes a blessing and a witness. Amen. But on the other hand, elders are to charge are charged with rebuking those who contradict sound doctrine. You've got to know what the doctrine is in order to give it out. And you also know, have to know what it is in order to correct it. Right. And, and this isn't just for elders. This is for you too. Right. The idea is anything that we are supposed to be doing, it's supposed to be modeled for you to live by. Right. And, and, and we're just kind of living examples, walking around imperfect as we are. But ultimately, you know, as you walk before the Lord, you want to be holy before God. You want to be mature. You want to be God glorifying. You want to grow in all these things and put off the flesh and put on the spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Yeah. And so and you want to be discerning as you walk in the year 2022 to what is of the Lord and what is not. You want to have your spiritual senses sharpened to the truth of the word of God and not what some philosopher or some radio talk show person says or all this type of stuff. You want to know what your father says about everything that's going on. And you want to have discernment. How's it come? You chew on the word and you let the Lord grow you in that. And then you're able to discern good and evil. Hebrews talks about, right? Well, and that's the other, the other hand of it. Not only we chew on the good stuff, but we know how to spit out the bad. And we also know how to correct in the lives of others. And that's the other part of the elders are supposed to do is rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Rebuke means to speak against. And he's going to talk about that in just a second, but rebuke, uh, extends to the church, those within the church. And it also extends to those outside the church seeking to influence the church. Does that make sense? So that's those who contradict the truth of the word of God, those who contradict godliness and so on. And so you can see the elders must hold fast to the word of God as taught. No changing it, no manipulating it. Uh, don't cut out the parts that are convicting. Let's not do that. Let's just have happy church all the time. Uh, the entire council. Verse 10 moves away from the qualifications here. And we move to the second half, which we're going to speed through here. The qualifications, the implications of why this matters. Why is it so important? Because that you hold fast. Why is it important that they have these characteristics? Why is it important for all this stuff? Why verse 10? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Paul has a threat that's, sweeping through the church in mind 2000 years ago. And they were the Judaizers of the day. Titus and the churches faced many who were opposing the Lord. And Paul identifies them as insubordinate and rebellious. That means insubordinate means rebellious means they're their own law. They're their own boss. And they were empty talkers. It means that they're using spiritual words and phrases, but there was no truth behind it. It wasn't associated with truth. So the word is void of the truth. And they were deceivers. They were speaking lies to get something out of people. That's what was going on. And Paul points out that the one group that he had clearly had in mind was the party of the circumcision. These were some Jews within the church. Remember I talked to you about Acts 15. This has been going on all the way since Acts 15. When Paul went out into all these places, well, he ran into Jews and the Jews said, oh, well, we, you came to Christ. So you got to have Christ and you must get circumcised. You can have Christ and you must keep the law of Moses. You can have Christ and you've got to keep the Sabbath. You got to have Christ and you can only eat certain types of foods. You have Christ and you can't have this kind of food. You have Christ and, 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 and that is a false gospel. Does Christ lead us to holiness? Yes. But does Christ and lead us to salvation? No, Christ alone. His finished work on the cross. And so he was dealing with a group of people that had a self-righteous salvation. You can attain salvation through your works. Make sense? Every false religion is attached to that idea. You can attain spirituality. You can attain Nirvana. You can attain eternal life. Now, Christianity is the opposite. God provided eternal life 
You simply have faith in his finished work. And that produces something in you when you're changed, the good works. Don't put the cart before the, ho- the horse. And so this group was in their mind and Titus and the elders here, it's like that they were charged concerning them. Verse 11 concerning this group, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. This is Paul isn't saying, Hey, Titus, go make them swim with the fishes. This is not what's going on. <laughs> They're not sending out a hit on the, on the Jews. That's not what's going on. Right. We got to make sure that's clear. What he's saying is you've got to combat what they're teaching with the truth and you've got to do it in a public way. Make sense? Combat their lies and deceit with the power of the truth. That's what happens. They were weaseling themselves, not into the main church service. It wasn't happening here. It was happening in home groups. It was happening in home groups. You wonder why, you know, we have an elder over the home groups. It's because of that, not because we don't trust uh, you all, but we are definitely called to watch what happens. The teaching that gets introduced, the people who won't come to the main session, but will come to the other session. They're not a part of under the submission uh, and the fellowship and the, and the, boy, the edification of, of, of the church, but they'll come to a small, a small grading and they'll kind of keep weaseling their opinion in this stuff. And all of a sudden they'll take a whole group out that happens. Amen. Yeah. It's scary. And so they're coming to people's homes and they the reason why they were doing this is they were trying to take advantage of these people and get some kind of material gain out of them. Uh, in other places, they talk about uh, taking widow, taking advantage of widows and all that kind of stuff. And this is horrible. And Paul warned Timothy about what was happening all over so he warned Timothy about it, right? And now he's warning Titus. It was happening in Crete as well. Verse 12. And one of these, one of the Cretans, Crete, Crete people. Uh, thank you. Crete creatures. Yes. One of the uh, Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And so Paul is uh, quoting most likely a guy named Epimenides or something like that. He was around 600 years before. And he was quoting about the Christians and their culture. He says, basically, he's just saying uh, that they were, uh, you know, he's saying about their culture. He says, they're always liars, they're evil beasts, and they're lazy gluttons. And and, And Paul says in verse 13, he says, their testimony is true. What they said about these people is true. In other words, these false teachers who were teaching these false teachings for greedy gain, greedy gain, they were acting just like the debased society that was around them. There was no holiness. They were placating to the, or they were integrating themselves with the worldly thing and they were taking advantage of people around them. And so they were and the idea about them being liars, the Christians being liars, they believe that Zeus died and was buried on, uh, in, in their, on their Island somewhere. So there was these myths about Zeus even though Zeus is supposed to be everlasting, but, and then an evil beast that is acting upon their base passions. Always. They just act like animals and they're lazy gluttons. So they're just lazy party animals. That's all they're doing. And so Paul says to Titus in verse 13, this testimony is true. This is exactly how they're acting. These teachers are not bringing people. It's not according to godliness. And well, let me, let me not get ahead of myself. Verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them. What? Sharply 
that they may be sound in faith, in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. And so elders had to confront these, this group uh, of, of Judaizers that were in the church and among the church. They're to rebuke them sharply. And that word sharply means to cut with force. And the purpose, the reason why they were to cut them sharply with the truth, with force was for a reason. What was that reason? That they would wake up and come back to the truth. Some of them to come back to the truth and some of them, you know, to come to the truth for the first time. The idea was repentance. It's calling them to repentance and it also protecting the church. Surgery is necessary to cut out cancer. Isn't it? Sharp knife, certain situations. That's the idea. The rebuke was directed to both those listening and those preaching this false teaching. And the Jewish myths that were going on, by the way, some people think is uh, numerology. So associating the Jewish numbers and letters and stuff with certain spiritual implications. And the rabbi started doing this at one time and it just got really weird as numerology quite often can. It gets, gets really weird. So they're also teaching the commands of men. And so they're saying, oh, hey, in order for you to be saved, you need to become a member of CCF. And not only that, you need to be baptized at my church. And you need to, just in case, to make sure you're super saved, you need to give a certain amount. And by the way, we're going to check on that. See how that kind of, the commandments of men. Where does God say any of that? Does God say you're supposed to be a part of a church? Yeah, absolutely. You're supposed to be submitted to leadership in a church? Absolutely. Are we accountable to you? Absolutely. <laughs> Are you supposed to give? Yep. But do you see the difference between the commandments of God and the commandments of men? That manipulation there? Yeah, that's what was going on. And, and obviously they were talking about what food you could eat and all that kind of stuff. I won't go into that. But so the elders were to rebuke them sharply. And here's verse 15, closing up to the pure. All things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And what Paul is addressing here is the effects of the gospel on the saved and the effects of the false gospel on the unsaved. Here's what he's saying. When someone's been made pure, they've been made pure from the inside out. They're no longer under the law. They're no longer under this legalism to the pure. All things are pure. You can go back to your life and love the Lord. Amen. That's pretty cool. The Holy Spirit will make you really keenly aware of what is contrary to his spirit. Amen. It's in his word. It's laid there, laid out for you. Right. And so, but when someone has been, so when someone's been made pure from the inside out, their perspective of everything has been purified. That's the idea. It's not about what I eat or what I don't eat. For example, as a means of making me right with God, it is the finished work of Christ upon the cross. It's not a legalistic righteousness. It's not a self-righteousness. It's a righteousness that was imputed to me through Christ. It's different. But for the legalists, for the Judaizers, in their case, everything was defiled. Everything was defiled. Nothing was pure. You had to jump through a man-made rules to attain righteousness, but you couldn't, and you can never make it because you fail, right? So they always had you. Some of you have come from a legalistic background. Anyone? a legalistic background. Some of you grew up maybe Roman Catholic or 
hardcore Protestant works uh, salvation type of a thing where you, in order for you to attain right standing with God, boy, you had to fill in all the blanks of all the things you must do day after day. And it weighs on your heart and it's supposed to, <laughs> because there's no way you can match all that. Most of these rules are man-made and warped, but then Christ comes along and you see that he did it all for you. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. He kept what you could never keep. He did the sacrifice that you could never do. And he paid the price for your sins, for my sins. Amen. And there was just this gracious gift given to you, to me that said his work <laughs> for your salvation, his righteousness for your unrighteousness and simply put your faith in him. And he did that work in you and you were cleansed, not from the outside in, not from the outside in, not from religion, but from the inside out. That's Christianity inside out. The tree takes root. Uh, the seed takes root and the fruit comes out. No manufactured fruit. And to the pure, all things are pure. We can go about our lives and we can enjoy it as we keep in step with the spirit, but to the defile that is to the unbelieving, nothing is pure, both in their minds and their consciences, they're defiled. And Paul says of those who are taken by that legalistic false doctrine, those teaching aces, whether it's a Judaizer of Paul days or say whatever religious system we've got today, all the hoops that we put up. Verse 16 says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. What happens is a bad tree will produce bad fruit. It's going to happen. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. There's a profession of knowing God, but the proof is ultimately in their works. And so that's what happened to these false teachers. And that's what happened to those who followed them. And then <clears throat> if you just look at Titus chapter two, Verse one, what does he say? But as for you, that's what they do. <laughs> that's them, right? Yes. <laughs> but as for you, teach what accords with healthy doctrine. That's unhealthy stuff. Man, the grace of God is so good. Jesus is so good, church. He's given us peace with God. Enjoy him. Amen. Enjoy him today. Listen to the Holy spirit. He will absolutely convict you on things that are out of line with him. Amen. If he, if indeed his spirit is in you, but if this morning you are trying to get God by doing all the right things, that's a, that's an outward in thing. That's never going to work. That's world religion. But what happens is God comes to our brokenness, our, our spirit, the poor in spirit. And he says, listen, I know you, you, you can't make it. You don't have what it takes. And you realize that because the spirit has brought us to that place. But I love you. I died for you. And I rose again. Amen. For you. Believe. And here's the cool thing is, is belief is a one-time belief, but that is a belief that keeps on going. It's amazing to be a Christian, to love Jesus way back when, when I was a little kid, to 
not even understand the ramifications of what went on totally, but to just know that I needed him. And then years later, here I am. He's still pruning the tree. He's still cutting out the dead branches and all the things he's got to do, right? Amen. But there's fruit being produced. And you, amen. It's his work in us. We just lean, when you lean into the spirit, when you just allow him to do what he is called, he's doing in your life, fruit just comes. You were made for him. Amen. So anyways, yeah. Uh, there's a lot there. I'd encourage you to read that, that over again. But as we get into chapter two, he talks about what the life of a believer is to be like. What, here's the leadership, but what about the people in the church? Well, older men are to be sober-minded. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. He talks about slaves. Uh, and he talks about younger women and self being self-controlled. Likewise, younger men are to be self-controlled. Talks about showing respect. He talks about slaves. And he just talks about as that's a result of the grace of God in people's lives. So changed life is a result of the grace of God in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just, uh, we want to thank you so much for your word again. Thank you for that. We could be in it. We pray that it would be in us bear fruit that would bring you glory this week. Lord, as we look at leadership, let's not point to them and say, yeah, they need to be that Lord. But when we aspire to be that like you, each of us, God, in these areas laid out, may we be a discerning people in this age. Lord, we need discernment and truth. There's so much subterfuge going on. Just give us, discernment, Lord, as we chew on the word, that we would be wise in this generation, that we would walk humbly before you, that we would be full of good works and love, that we would know what it truly is to love one another, to love you, to love our enemies, and to wait for your glorious return. And so have your hand upon this little flock here, Lord. Protect us from the evil one. And uh, Lord, we lift up your church globally, Lord, uh, here in Walla Walla and uh, beyond, Lord. Be with those who are being persecuted this morning for righteousness sake. And uh, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.